Hello and welcome to Everyday in Unity, a podcast coming to you uh, with a combination of intellect, despair, and the occasional non-octote. Uh, as usual, I'm your host, Lee, and with me, as always, is someone melting in his back garden because it's too hot inside his house, Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello. I am sweating cobs that themselves are sweating cobs on top of their cobs, <laughs> whatever a cob is. <sighs> Where, yeah, I have always wondered where the expression sweating cobs comes from. I don't think that many Since people you're know. The only person, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're me. the only person I know that says it. Um, yeah, m- most of my, what's the word? It's like in, uh, idiosyncratic, but what's the oh, idiom? No, no, you're an idiom. No, what's the vernacular? Like, a per, you, Can you say that? No, that's not right. What's the thing when it's like someone's way of speaking that's particular to them? That is vernacular. I think vernacular's more like uh, a. <laughs> right, we just have to roll this back for a second. Me and Lee have just had their dinners, so this will will only start kicking into gear. Hang on, I did line something up, uh, and it will let me think of that word. Hang on, we'll just you know. I'm thinking. Hang on. Be good when Lee has to edit this in the after the post production. <laughs> but um, it's basically that's getting us into the mood of it's about thirty Celsius in the UK, or has been more than that in daytime, and it is. I mean, seriously, I'm set outdoors, um, wearing shorts and a t-shirt. I don't know why I'm telling you exactly what I'm wearing. Uh, and I am still just like sweating, just sat still. Uh, and I'm not sure when I've last felt that kind of heat. It was probably when I was in Switzerland. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's the hottest. I think we had the hottest August day in 17 years the other day. When they say, you know, hottest since records began when Richard met office in the 1600s, started keeping records uh, off his own back. And they thought, you know what, let's put it on paper. Um, and yeah, apparently it was smashing all the records. Britain, number one. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hot. Sorry, I don't know, just apropos of nothing, but it's just taking over everything at the moment. So we've now got pestilence, vultures, Famine with hard Brexit. Well, we haven't had that yet, wave. so we're still waiting for. The no, but we will. Yeah, come on, man. It's, it's, <laughs> well, you're waiting. You're like watching from afar. Go, still waiting for it, mate. It's gonna be gold. Um, yeah, it's warm. People. It was warm here today, but only in a sort of warm. Sweet, yeah, sweet. exactly. I mean, it was 25 degrees. Bottlers. Um, oh, come on. So, come on, mate. I mean, like, no. I mean, Swedes were <laughs> melting. Like, you know, everybody was outside. Shorts and t-shirts, um, very unpleasant to look at. Um, really? Well, well, at least around where I live. Um, okay. <laughs> well, you're in the Munter district. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was. No, uh, I mean, I sat on my balcony, uh, you know, in the sunshine for a little while. It was nice. Um, Got a balcony. Still hasn't invited me to come and yeah, stay. Still, still not getting that. Invite. We could be recording this from the balcony. We could be recording this in the balcony, uh, watching all the munters passing by. 
And when I say months, I'm talking about like, you know, that isn't misogynist. I'm talking about everyone. Mm-hmm. I've got, a, you know, balanced approach to monterdom. Um, equal opportunities, ugliness. Mm. Well, I mean, yeah, well, either way it was, uh, but I mean, yeah, it's 25 <laughs> degrees. It's, it's warm. Don't get me wrong, but it's not that hot. Um, I mean, I was out last night wearing a hoodie and I walked past people like, in jeans <laughs> okay. and I saw someone like in a vest and t-shirt. Um, uh, not vest and t-shirt, yeah, vest okay. and shorts. And um, I, yeah, it was very confusing. Um, but, you know, Northern Europeans generally well, don't. Either they were wrong or you were wrong, but <laughs> something seems yeah. out there. But you'd wear a hoodie probably in, what, 30 Celsius, wouldn't you? I I, I reckon 28 is probably I think hoodies limit just your default. For, for hoodies. Um, okay, yeah, because the thing is, is that I, uh, so last couple of nights I've been out and like wearing, I've like had to wear shorts and I hate wearing shorts because I think they, unless you've got like a really good legs as a guy, they make you, they're quite infantilizing. That, that, you know, I, should, I think I read about someone recently, like a famous person who's like, you know, never wore shorts his life because you look about 14 or 12 or something, you know, like, and, uh, or other ages that are below an adult age. Um, and I really feel like that. Plus, I've got like sort of skinnyish sort of legs and knobbly knees, and it's just not a good look. Um, so, yeah, I'm much better looking like in terms of like dress wise and stuff in winter. Basically, when I get to like cover my body, and 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 I, you know, you're on. I was on like Brighton Beach last night, and there's well, spread, spreading just, COVID with the rest. Of I, yeah, yeah, I, and I would love to. I mean, I'd love to have the confidence. Of some of the people just massive people and stuff, and you know, I know people go, well, body positivity. We should be positive about everyone's body, but my approach is body negativity <laughs> for all. <laughs> And well, I think and I mean, every, like, I wear if, shorts. If, like, if I can wear shorts, I will wear shorts. Um, I don't have knobbly knees. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. So you're walking around in your hot pants, uh, showing your legs off, your pins. But I mean, I, you know, like there's a few years ago, I think, I think when I was living in Switzerland, actually, there was that thing of Ferrari about French police making. Muslim women in France take off like full covered, oh, yeah. Hijab, yeah. like bathing suits, whereas they weren't. Ri- yeah, they weren't ripping like the, yeah, the what's it waterproofs of like guys who are going surfing or whatever. So it's just totally racist mm-hmm. policy. And my approach is like, no, no, get the police down on the beach, get handing out burkas <laughs> to everyone. Like on Brighton Beach last night, it's just like, no, 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 this is like it should be a thing. It should be government policy. So if you want to be on the beach, get a burka on. Apart from like the ten percent who like can get away with like showing off their body, and that's Britain. Obviously, in other countries, if you're in France, Spain, it would be like thirty to forty percent. Fair <laughs> enough. This is mostly mostly tongue in cheek, but I'll let you work out the listener how much percentage is tongue in cheek. I think that um, I, I mean, you know, there is a certain. No, I'm not even going to go into it. Just basically, like, it's... (laughs) I'm the one who's meant to offend people, Lee. Don't you start. No, I just, like, my Uh, my experience of it is when, you know, sort of, is, like, when I think about people stripping off when they shouldn't probably do that, it's usually Brits abroad, and there's a whole sort of drunk football element to it, (laughs) which I think is... 
even when you're on a beach where there's no British people, you're probably thinking in the back of your mind, there could be some British people turning up here who like strip off and kick off at a minute. Like you're just waiting mm. for it to happen. Um, but, but there's this weird thing also I've noticed where, um, this just might be in my sick mind, obviously, but I was thinking about this discrepancy between, so I was on the beach, uh, minding my own business. And there's obviously like women taking off their clothes and then they're in what are basically like underwear, like bikini type things, swimsuit type things. Uh, yeah. Mo- mostly that look like pretty much like underwear most of the time. And, but the disconnect between like that and you don't, I mean, you can think, oh, like that person's like quite attractive, or whatever, but you don't tend to get like aroused or something. Whereas in the different, co- it's just a change of context that that exact same outfit will spur arousal. I, I have no on thoughts on that. I don't really <laughs> like thinking about you being aroused either. Um. <laughs> on the sex, oh yeah, on the sex, sex offenders <laughs> register. After that, I was on the beach last night. That's what she would be taking off. I look at it right at their bums. <laughs> No, but it's just around you. I mean, I wasn't really like, there'll be people out there, there's the high-minded types who say, oh my God, that's unbelievable. You're objectifying women's bodies. Oh my bloody Lord, or whatever. It's like, you go and sit on the beach um, when there's like, you know, attractive people taking up, yeah, in, in their unders, basically, uh, for intents and purposes, like, you know, not but 15 feet ahead. You know, you're a bigger man than I. <laughs> a more woke man than I, if you're not. That's interesting that you would say little, you would accuse a man of saying that, uh, or or a lesbian woman. It's just as less lesbian women than there are horrible, toxic men. Um, fair enough. Well, so I mean, so basically, you are you are warm. You're still <laughs> in your undisclosed location somewhere in the south of England, um, yeah. <laughs> which obviously, uh, well, am I? we we am I, we assume will be your current location for quite some time since you can't seem to ever move anywhere however there is no 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 i have so i have no no okay so this is what's bizarre about this right i have agreed to move into two places in two cities okay i'm I'm basically like simon cow um in theory like in my mind but like he's broken his back (laughs) i was just gonna say that's Um, so that's something to look forward to but I, you know uh, I, I mean I'm sure he's listening or someone in his management team are listening uh, and you know Simon uh, get better soon um, when people say break the back it's a very vague you wouldn't say oh he, he well he would say broke his arm yeah what I'm talking about <laughs> it's very the back is quite large it's like well, I assume it means the spine like some like Cal broke his spine anyway um, no, well, so no I, I think two... you can break the bones in your back without what you right. were talking about, which is okay. severing the spinal cord. Okay. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, Anthony Cadess of the Red Hot Ch- Chili Peppers. Yep. He, uh, that's what I said. Um, <laughs> he broke his back as a youth, I believe. And uh, look at him. He's been prancing around singing shit songs for about, you know, 30 years now. But anyway, so I have now two places that I have, have agreed to move to in different parts of England. And I've now got to decide and let one of those people down quite last minute. (laughs) It would be quite Uh, funny if whichever one you choose to let down is like quite disappointed and says, okay, fine, I'll find someone else. 
uh, and then the one you choose to move in with says <laughs> you've taken too long to decide. I've led it to someone else. No, no, and no. Then one, you go one. back to the first one, and then like, well, I've I don't want you living here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But the first uh, one one is in Sheffield again. <laughs> <laughs> You're going back to this try time. And kill them all again. But this time I haven't paid. Come on, the thing is, right, is that I be, this time I haven't paid a deposit like I did last time. So that's a bit different. They're just doing it on trust because they're a good person because they trust people, but they've not met me, obviously. Oh, but, I was um, say. And it, and the other one is in Bristol. Um, and but one I would have to move in next weekend, and the other one be like in a couple of weeks. Uh, so I will have to make a decision. And then I've been thinking after a few turn of events recently that maybe it'd be better to be based in Brighton because we've got some like actual friends there. There's a beach uh, well. and yeah, there's, there's the COVID beach and yeah, some nice things or whatever going on recently. Well, I don't know. I mean, so considering like, um, like yeah. you know, with past experience of you being a super spreader, the fact that you're going and hanging out on Brighton Beach and <laughs> probably catching COVID again and then planning on moving to somewhere. To spread yeah, COVID another COVID. town. Yeah. So basically, like, when, when you know, should you move to Sheffield or Bristol, and yeah. the inevitable lockdown, Both, you know, regional maybe. lockdown, yeah, yeah. those places come, we can well, no firmly way. point the finger at you. Actually, I mean, I have to say, like, so far, if it's Bristol, yeah, they've got, they've had extremely low COVID, yeah, and like minimal peak, like the peak. There's a graph so you can look on the Guardian, um, and they the show again, like the spikes and stuff. Mm. Um, in different areas and like you put in like i think brighton's the same brighton bristol it's just it's just along the, yeah the bottom of the axes and there's just no spike it, it's like n- almost sort of no one's had it or something so what, or you, i guess you, you've had a look at that and thought well i'm i can sort that i've out. got to change that up a bit <laughs> no, no 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 it's more the fact that like if yeah i mean seriously if i went to if like i went to bristol and then it kicked off i mean it would be quite the coincidence it, it um would. But anyway, I mean, you know, I think we've discussed it. We've had an iteration of this discussion about, well, how, how many episodes have we done recently? <laughs> six, six, seven or something. <laughs> so I think this is quite boring for everyone else. For me, it's like, you know, I've got to live this. But uh, I don't know. I should just say that um, we now have, obviously, I've got to mention my friend Aaron. That's becoming a re- regular feature. <laughs> What's Aaron up to? Um, he is now our resident artist, artist right, in residence. Yeah. Yep. So if you go to at EDNN podcast one, um, you will see a lovely little sketch of a vignette of the vignette. Of last week's show. Yep. What did I say? Vignette. No, I <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a great computer company in, 90, in the 90s, Vignette Computers. Um, I think that was the first name for the internet, Vignette. Then I thought a bit too consonant heavy anyway so um so yeah a, a vignette uh, um and yeah it's quite ironic given i'm the sort of kind of french speaker here <laughs> vignette <laughs> anyway so there's a little sketch of the last some of yeah the, something from the last show and nice stuff and if you want to check that out go to our twitter feed uh or if you you know if you don't then don't <laughs> well i mean he's also uh, according to you possibly doing uh, some artwork for the podcast as well uh, yeah. which i think which you sent me a, an initial sketch of which i quite liked uh which i yeah. think would be worth sharing as well 
on this. So if the rest of you can pull your fingers out, if the rest of the listenership can pull their fingers out and do something, then uh, we might be on our way to something exciting. Well, that's let's keep our fingers crossed on I that. I can hear the hear the excitement in your voice there. <laughs> Uh, I should just say, just to point, point, paint a mental picture for the audience, um, I am like sat at a kind of a round table on a bench thing, and it kind of reminds me of, of, um, what's it? Oh, is it? What's his name? Is it John Richardson, the football guy, football journalist? I don't know where you're going with this, so I have no idea who. Come you're on, you know? About. No, you know who? Come, no, no, the he used to do football Italia. James Richardson. That's it. Oh God! You say it as if I'm like mad. AC <laughs> yes. Jimbo, yeah. James Rich. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, my so like in one of the rambles, I discussed. I forgot to say. So I said my two dream jobs. One was football coaching. The other was like radio host, radio show, like shock jock type bullshit. Third thing was to go back in time, become James Richardson, and do the paper reviews on Football Italia, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or you know. Uh, if that didn't happen, I could just sit on the table next to it while it was happening. Because <laughs> um, I still remember that, and now I'm always like, man, I want to. I really want to just do. I want to be like a G-list celebrity and be asked to do a paper review. I don't know why. Uh, and I recorded a paper review of a friend Hannah about five years ago in a Weatherspoons, and I think it was like two hours long. <laughs> don't know if anyone listened. We put it on SoundCloud, um, and yeah, it's cracking. But um, yeah, so I'm trying to build that as like you know, and here, like you know, maybe I'm getting to the dream. Well, we could do a paper review right on this podcast, but I'm not sure it would be very interesting. Because I mean, I don't speak Swedish, so uh, like looking yeah. at Swedish papers won't really be very useful. <laughs> and people listen to it a week later, so that'd be good, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> Actually, well, I mean, like thinking about like paper reviews, the only person I ever consistently see doing a paper review that sort of talks about the fact that they're doing it is either Paul Mason or Ian Dunt. Now, Paul Mason, I've got a bit of time for, but he gets a bit tiring. And Ian Dunt, for exactly the same reason, but from the sort of centrist British Labour position, which I... Right. um, I don't know him that well. He's really... When there's there's, um, Prime Minister's questions, he's usually live-tweeting them, and he's quite good at that. But he's also... He he falls into that labor position of we need to be sensible adults as opposed to um, actually fixing problems. Um, yeah, okay. Which <laughs> which uh, which is is quite tiring uh, to be quite honest. Uh, but um, no, I mean obviously there was the Donald Trump thing where he was actually interviewed by a, a real journalist for once, which I thought was quite funny. Um, Boris Johnson lifted weights for some reason, which I haven't quite figured out why he was doing that. Are you eating something out of a bowl? Are you having cereal? But you're... Wait, no, no, I'm eating some blueberries. Blueberries again? Let them eat blueberries again. (laughs) You just call it Let Them Eat Blueberries Redux Brackets Director's Cut. (laughs) Um, No, uh, yeah, yeah, it's my routine. Podcast and eat the blueberries. But um, um, yes, that's the answer to that. I'm eating... Yes, But you're drinking uh, strawberry milkshake like a 14 year old boy well, I've, I've finished it now <laughs> you know professional now that the uh, podcast has started but <laughs> I will say in that moment when you were talking about Ian Dunn I couldn't hear you but I kept recording don't worry now I'm a professional I just stayed cool calm and collected <laughs> yeah. and that's fine but I didn't hear anything of what Lee said there so if he 
said, you know, I, I, I don't know if he called me a massive dunt. <laughs> I didn't hear it. Okay, but um, but I'm sure it was all fascinating. Mm. <laughs> and I just, I just grabbed the blueberries and thought, you know what, have at it. I'll be quiet for thirty seconds for once. You can go for it. I'm worried I'm not hearing him again. <laughs> oh shit! He's disappeared there. I can't hear a word that's going on. What is going on here? Oh, the internet has kicked out. But yes, yeah, so uh, now that we've come back from that temporary interruption of Pete having his blueberries and having to walk inside. Uh, hopefully he doesn't yep. uh, die of sweat and heat exhaustion uh, while yep. sitting inside his very warm house. Uh, we did actually have a a, uh, uh, a listener question this week, which was quite quite novel, uh, and it didn't come from either Sam or Matt. So you know, that's doubly novel. Oh. Um, so the question was from at Story Toilet uh, on the Twitter, <laughs> which sure, fair enough. It's a highbrow affair. <laughs> And uh, Story Toilet says, uh, hey, EDNN Podcast One, which is our Twitter handle, if you would like to uh, follow us there. Uh, following the release of NBC's Brave New World, I wonder if you could uh, maybe discuss the issues raised in the exploration of Huxley's utopian totalitarian future government, as opposed to Orwell's dystopian totalitarian future government, hashtag totalitarian special. I have no, not seen it. Let's well, move on. Well, okay. yes. Well, we can. We can. <laughs> Sort of discuss it. Um, I've not seen this uh, Brave New World. Oh well, it's great. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> no, no. I mean, <laughs> uh, I actually have downloaded it illegally because that's what I do. And um, but I have not actually got around to watching it yet. So uh, you and I have both read 1984 and uh, Brave New World. But before we began recording, we were quite happy to admit that you've only read one recently and another one 15 odd years ago. Um, I read 1984 when I was probably about 13 or 14 and Brave New World when I was probably about seven. Oh, shut up. Um, (laughs) uh, Actually, if you're reading that in 1984, it would have been quite disappointing. Like now you can see it a different way. Mm. But if you look back, then you go, it's a bit rubbish because it didn't happen, did it? Well, That's what I took I mean, away from it, that the 80s were very different. <laughs> there's, uh, there's a very uh, apt way I think we can enter this discussion. Um, because, I mean, like while you can talk about the specifics of both books, I think that there's a general overall concept, um, which we are probably better placed to discuss. And um, so have you ever heard of a, a gentleman named Neil Postman, Pete? I have not heard of anything more about neil postman (laughs) other than he always delivers oh god uh poor very poor um i'll give that a solid two out of ten um (laughs) he wrote a book called amusing ourselves to death um and uh conveniently someone it's what we're doing here yeah well that's definitely what we're doing uh someone just looking him up put together a um it looks like leibovitz (laughs) That's how I imagine Leibovitz is in my mind. That's quite weird. <laughs> me, it's a bit scary. Right. Okay. So I'm going to read through uh, a very basic overview that's handily put together in comic book form by uh, someone named Stuart McMillan, uh, which I will link to this on Twitter if you're if you're this is getting very specific. Well, I mean, uh, th- interestingly enough, I've covered this topic 
briefly in uh, in a blog that Matt and I used to write together called Vitrialism. Okay. about eight years ago. Don't look it up. Don't look it up. Don't waste your time. <laughs> I'm not joking. Um, but, uh, Is it still active? I, I don't know. I haven't looked at it in the better part of eight years. Um, <laughs> I mean, if he can't be asked to look at it for eight years, then you shouldn't be, be uh, a beloved audience. But um, Okay, so it's an overview of both of the books and the central premise of both of them. Uh, so what Orwell feared were those who would ban books. Uh, what Huxley feared was those was that there would be no reason to ban books for no one, be, no one would want to read them at all. So Orwell feared those who okay. would deprive us of information, and Huxley feared that there would be um, so much information or so many things happening that we would be reduced to passivity okay. and egotism. Uh, or, That's definitely not happening, is it? Uh, Orwell feared, feared the truth would be concealed from us, and Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Um, okay. Orwell feel, feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture, preoccupied with some equivalent of the, the feelies, the orgy-porgy and the centrifugal bumble puppy. Um, centrifugal, but okay. So in 1984, people are controlled by inflicting pain. <laughs> Brave New World, people are controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell feared that what we hate would ruin us and Huxley feared what we love would ruin us. So that is the central premise. Well, that is the introduction, essentially. Um, I've, I've skipped some bits, but that is essentially the introduction of yep. amusing ourselves to death, um, which is a good book. I did read it years and years and years ago, but I can't really remember it enough. Okay. Yeah, I should read it and then we should yeah. do a discussion well, on it. <laughs> you know, maybe we can revisit the discussion on it once you have got Yeah, it. sure. No, but I'm I mean, busy. I think that there is a... Legit. I mean, as a starting off point, I mean, this like if we sort of revert back to the the actual question, um, the issues raised in the exploration of Huxley's utopian totalitarian future. So that is the so much pleasure that we're quite happy to let things slide, versus the Orwellian dystopian totalitarian future, whereas you are controlled and you aren't allowed to question anything. Um, I think that. Well, the the Huxley version of the future is more, very much more coming to pass than the Orwellian one. As much as uh, you know, the right wing nut jobs uh, that sort of shout nineteen eighty four every time you say maybe don't say that. That's a little bit racist. Mm. Um, uh, they seem to get upset about. Um, yeah. So, and you know, the idea of sort of pleasure. You know, like you talk about sort of porn on tap and. Drugs for everyone. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I talk about that. Like, Pete's always messaging me about his tap porn. Um, you know, and you know, this sort of like consumerism is very much geared to placating people. You know, like have this brand new thing, have this shiny new thing. Um, you know, go like work all week, work yourself to the bone, and then you know, go get blitzed on the Friday, Saturday recover on a Sunday so you can repeat it all again on a Monday. Um, that well, that's is, been happening for a long time though in terms of like Nobody's that, disputing that's... that has been happening for a long time. At least I'm not disputing that but I think that is more in line with a Huxleyan version of what how you can control people when um, you know the Orwellian version of how you control people is sort of constant war all the time revisionist history 
mm-hmm. you know, very much. Well, it's it's like well, you have a bit of both. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, say like, I mean, in, in one sense, you have both of them. Um, you know, you do have the surveillance state. You have surveillance capitalism. Um, you know, you do have a rewriting of history. Um, you do have uh, state control over very minute details in your life that you're not necessarily always aware of, but they're there. But on the flip side, you also do have this. I mean, let's face it, like drugs are quite easy to get hold of no matter where you live. Um, <laughs> alcohol is... You've got you've got a whole pulley system that goes up your balcony. Uh, <laughs> or when you're out at night in your hoodie, you're selling them even when it's 30 degrees. <laughs> uh, when, you, when you... I mean, like in most people's sort of social network, they could probably get class A drugs. Um, I, it's, it, it, it's not hard to get hold of drugs. So I think that the idea that, um, and, you know, and, and sort of the way people live to work really means that they're more inclined to get hard drugs. Um, but also, I mean, alcohol is, is not um, prohibited uh, and it is very much a drug. So, um, you know, it's not quite soma levels of. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, you're obviously, you know, skipping over the, the obvious thing that is is the explosion of like ssri usage mm. in the last yeah since like the 80s 90s right. on an industrial scale yeah. um and i read a really good book recently it's called crazy like us and i can't remember the guy's name the author but it's about how the west and obviously big pharmaceutical companies kind of exported the, the mental health conditions and ideas on like mental well-being to other countries so in certain places i don't know if it's i think it might have been south korea or something where or japan where like anorexia didn't exist and then some pharmaceutical companies went over there so you'd get some people would get anorexia but it's tiny numbers and it's for very specific reasons compared to like here it was very different and then it became like um uh, what's the word? Sort of like a tr- like a fa- like a f- not a fashion because that's the sort, but a, a, a trend to to because yeah, it, it's like following a sort of Western way of doing things or something. Um, and if you give people certain ways of looking at stuff and labels, they'll like follow that and kind of like basically hysteria used to be a medical condition for women, yeah. basically to control them. It doesn't exist anymore. But if you say to people, these symptoms mean this thing, they're likely to have that thing and kind of label themselves, be labeled with it, whatever. Um, so SSRIs and, you know, people are just, well, like like in Brave New World, are like mass chemically changed. Yeah. Mm. Chemically transformed. There's no way. I mean, I was on SSRIs when I'm about the age of like, you're not going to give them to people under 18, but I was like maybe like 17 and a half or something pretty much for like four or five years and that is way too long especially at that sort of age where you haven't totally fully like finished developing kind of thing um but the last like couple of years of that i think i was a very low dosage which i remember my doctor being like look you're on almost like negligible amount but you just let me carry on um so uh, and that does you know change you as a person and how and, and it you know if you were angry and depressed angry and or angry people might go out and do something about the world they live in 
if you're given 20 milligrams of citalopram or Prozac, you might be less angry. You might just, you know, there's a brilliant Doug Stanhope bit on it about a woman who was like, I used to go to work and struggle to alphabetize files all day and do spreadsheets. And then they gave me, uh, you know, Paxil or whatever, and I can just do it for like 10 hours a day, like a machine kind of thing, um, and be able to focus and concentrate on that job. And it's like, you know, give someone acid, they wouldn't be able to do any kind of meaningless bullshit admin job. Give someone booze, it's very difficult to do that. You know, cocaine, they're not going to sit down and do that. You probably need to be in a ball pit type financial kind of job if you're going to do that kind of thing at the same time as work. Uh, anything else, I mean, you know, weed, whatever. So there's certain drugs where it's kind of like, and like the summer type, summer, whatever it is type thing. That The closest thing to that is your yeah, antidepressants, which I, I thought didn't exist, you know, when Huxley was writing. Um, and they do now. And millions upon millions of people who in their gut know that the world is not right are then we don't follow that thread as a society and think wow why are so many people getting like you know upset as a reaction to like how awful like the world is like you have to certain things you have to learn certain behaviors if you're going to walk to your place of work or back home and see like a line of people living on the street yeah or, you know, destitute kids and uh, violence and, you know, read about sexual violence all the time, war, that makes people quite, I mean, if you react to that in the way of getting depressed, angry, upset, like, you know, invert commas crazy, that's a very rational, sane, I would say, response. So, which like, I think we touched on last week. So, um, yeah, it's a weird thing. So instead of actually dealing with those issues, we're sort of like, don't worry, let the technocrats kind of just keep things ticking over. Um, and you just go home, take your pills, piss around on your phone, um, have a game of footy of your mates or whatever. Don't even play football, just go on FIFA <laughs> yeah, and sit in front of a box or whatever and you know, watch it. Uh, don't even have to do. So I think, and I, and I think, yeah, with the more of a general thing of the Huxley stuff is, uh, I think if you had a matrix type reality that is um, like awesome, like a really great kind of virtual reality existence, you can have sex whoever you want, do whatever you want, you know, whatever. Most people, if you are, I'd, well, I don't know, like lots of people, I think if you are some big percentage would, would plug themselves into that. Like I always think the matrix is kind of like backwards because I don't think the machines would have to enslave people to get them inside. I think humans would actively go into that reality, that virtuality. And that's more likely to come about if we continue to destroy, like, you know, the world around us mm. and the society gets more and more disturbing. There'll be probably people who can, you know, sort of enter that kind of like a different world. It doesn't have to be off planet. It doesn't have to be, let's see, like, um, what's the, uh, the Matt Damon film, you know, with the people, the rich people living. Oh, Elysium. Elysium. So it'd be, it'd be like a mix of like Lysium and matri- the Matrix. Like you'd live in the Matrix and then you'd have like a poor person come and like make sure that the sort of fluids are work- like, you know, all okay. You get in your gunge that you eat or whatever and uh, all that kind of stuff and the, the electronic system running it is still okay and then it'll all be automated and that sort of stuff. And I think there'll be like, yeah, billionaires kind of live in this sort of Valhalla type heavenly existence that's not real but it's a you know construct. Well, this this sort of like and, also reflects uh, you know several years ago 
when we first started doing this, we talked about a book called Four Futures, and that was sort of one of the uh, possible four scenarios for the future of uh, modern capitalism. Okay. Can't remember that. I thought it was just my, me coming up with pure gold on nope, the spin. Nope, definitely not. Um, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's very much like what always makes me think of something like that is the way people are always enthralled to someone like Elon Musk where he's trying to escape to Mars. Uh, and people are like, oh, we're going to escape to Mars and, you know, like we'll manage to save the world and everything will be better. I mean, like, yeah, if you escape to Mars with Elon Musk, you're probably not going to be having <laughs> a life of luxury. You're probably going to be cleaning his fucking toilet. Um, this is right, the idea yeah. that, you know, like very much the American dream idea. It's that it's very, it, it's a good way of keeping people happy with their lot and the off chance you might be able to make it to sort of millionaire billionaire status uh rather than um you know facing up to the reality of the situation which is you're probably going to die and it's not going to be very nice and you know your children and your grandchildren are probably going to struggle to look after themselves and pay for your funeral um but but or it can just be more mundane than that because there's people of our mindset who or even just you know average joes and josephines who don't really think about this stuff too much who you know if you talk to them in 1975 probably thought every day oh is there going to be a nuclear disaster a nuclear war uh conflagration anytime i mean you know all like the cuban missile crisis type era and that kind of stuff and and you know before that there were two fairly large world wars uh, and you go back into the 19th century. I mean, like, I, th- I think there is this thing where every generation does think that they're living in the end times. However, I think ours is fairly unique in terms of we probably do have the technological capacity to destroy ourselves many times over or do some strange things like, you know, create a matrix type scenario, which obviously you couldn't do 100 years ago. And it's only, you know, what, 60, 70 years or something since you've been able to. I mean, even the first nuclear weapons and things were pretty, it, it took a lot of them to do what, you know, two would do now, you know. Uh, but there is always this thing of like, oh, it is. I mean, imagine if you're living in the first pan, the Spanish flu pandemic, you've got World War One happening, Spanish flu pandemic. It's not like, oh, you know, there's a bit of a nutty guy in the White House. Uh, and all isn't it all he sort of comes out mad stuff all the time it's like no no millions upon millions of people dying in war and from flu whereas now it's like an extremely small proportion of the world's population even getting infected that's the first thing but then obviously an infinitesimally small amount of people dying. well i mean i think that that like um, i was thinking about this the other day and i think people are not taking that sort of um like there, like that comparison isn't quite right because you know you have to take into account nineteen nineteen eighteen nineteen nineteen. They didn't have people didn't have antibiotics then. You know, modern medicine is vastly very different. You know, you also had a lot of people having just come out of the First World War would have been horribly knackered. Yes, um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, things like black lung. You know, if you're going to have a, like a pneumonia type disease. Like, you know, having spent half your life down the coal pit and then fighting in a war. I mean, and then a little Mm. bit of a cough. And then black Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a bit, um, 
like I can understand how you know sort of fifteen to twenty million people died of the Spanish flu. Um, which interestingly enough, do you know why it's called the Spanish flu? Because um, it started in Dundee by a Spaniard. <laughs> it actually started in uh, in, in America. Okay. Um, but the only reason it's called Spanish flu is because it was first reported in Spain. Ah. Um, because after during the First World War, um, the there was news uh, lockdowns. Okay. So it wasn't reported on in America. In, in the Actually, yeah, I do now. Yeah, um, that rings a bell now that it started in America. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, Pete. I mean, it is a grim period, and but um, I, th- I think also there's this thing of like when you know that you might not be living in a totally horrific time when global powers and stuff have to sort of confect. Uh, global rivalries and issues so like the united states at the moment is choosing to get into you know political and economic disputes with you know its rival its closest rival for power and hegemony but um but it like that is a choice because it's not like yeah, again, these big periods in history where it's like, you know, you've got two superpowers. Obviously, that's a choice, but in a sense, and those two superpowers chose to kind of deal. But it's quite a different, I mean, they were two massive political economic blocks with, yeah, arms and teeth pointing at each other kind of thing. Um, and I think now it is a bit different in that sense that, you know, the, the United States, so, you know, if you have a slightly different leadership in the United States, China and the US would be, probably antagonistic behind the scenes, but I think up front they'd be kind of, yeah, oh, we're working in partnership, we're going to support WHO, all this kind of thing, even if they're still like spying on each other or whatever else. Um, yeah, so which is quite different from, yeah, the 20th century where, yeah, the USSR and the US um, and global wars where it kind of wasn't like, you know, obviously some countries like in the US, the US did, did decide to sort of sit back and sit away from it, like, you know, First World War and stuff, but that was just a geographic, you know, sort of by dint of geographic uh, sort of distance to some extent. Um, mm. I'm not sure what my point is, but yeah, it, it's kind of Biden can walk into office in like November 2nd and kind of the, the, you won't be able to completely smooth over everything that's happened with, the, with China. And I think this situation is speeding up uh, processes of the breakdown of US hegemony, um, but that can be kind of papered over for a while longer. It's just one administration's wacky kind of approach. Um, whereas in the past, you couldn't say, I mean, you know, if you think about yeah, global rivalries, you know, empires and things in the 20th century, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's a whole different level. And so I think now it's, yeah, I. I yeah, you can't look at it. I can't really see a thing where it's like, okay, sort of teetering on the brink of some major. Can you imagine if I say this, then like a you hear like a bomb go off in the background. <laughs> of some, uh, so I think it is different on that respect. Whatever I've said, but I mean that's the thing. I think that, that generally your point being that you can't compare what's happening now. Who is? I don't know. One even making the point. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, I think that people try to make sense of what's happening now, but and by 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 using comparisons, 
Um, I mean, there's a lot of memes on the internet about how, um, you know, 1919, is sort of coming back around again. Okay. You know, um, and, you know, and I think there are the, you know, the sort of economic collapse, descent into fascism, all that kind of stuff. Like there are interesting parallels, but I don't think they're necessarily comparable. I think more of a problem is in fact having just the way people aren't quite sure about how to react. And I think that people, like, I think that there's less sort of communal um, work being done together. Like, I mean, which is, which sounds weird to say, but like, you know, you do get the sort of, particularly in terms of the protest movements around Black Lives Matter and things like people are coming together. You know, you get a lot of solidarity between a lot of different groups. However, I think that they're more atomized. People are more atomized now yeah, than they previously have been. And I think that, you know, to sort of impact, to, to, to create major change is much harder now than it previously has been, uh, has done. Um, well, yeah, I think because, well, yeah, okay. because yeah, um, the, you know, people aren't like, you know, if you th- consider the sort of working class solidarity a hundred years ago, it was very, very different to what working class uh, solidarity looks like now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I, yeah, yeah. And I, hmm? yeah. No, no, I was just going to say, I mean, I do get, I yeah, mostly agree, other than, yeah, 100 years ago ish. Yeah, most of about 100 years ago, you had all the kind of sort of Edward Bernays type people and like the ad yeah. agencies and the sort of Freudian psychoanalytic, you know, um, schools sort of developing with, the, with an idea in mind that you, people are atomized and you can control them because they're basically a herd and you can herd them off into the path that you so wish. And this is at a time when, you know, you just had like both Bolshevik revolution, I can't even speak today, um, in one part of the world that was obviously threatening the rest to some extent. Um, and yeah, people still sort of thought that you could, and you could, you know, you had a whole industry developed around the manipulation to people's, my innermost desires um, to sell commodities. Um, and that's probably the old school version of what you have to, today of like the algorithm being developed to control and like contain and shape your desires. Um, and you don't, you know, it's, it's more efficient. It's just, it's probably like the same thing, just faster and more direct, specific and direct to you. So I mean, obviously, with old ad, with ads and ad agencies, the whole thing. The point is, you know, someone's got to be able to watch that and think this was this ad, whatever it was, kind of focused at me as an individual. Yeah, it speaks mm. to me as but, um, and obviously, you know, that can't be the case. Everyone is a bit more of a blunt tool. Whereas obviously now, you know, we've got the algorithm. It it does know so much of your information and such sort of knowledge about you as a person that it will predict things before you even know. So I think I saw this thing about, you know, this thing where everyone thinks that their phone is listening in on um, everything they're doing. So you'll have a discussion about a book and then it will it will turn up on Amazon or whatever on Google. But all you've done is talk to a friend about it like once or something. So people are like, it's listening in. But the scarier thing is apparently it's because, because the it's, it's a prediction. You know, it's the outcome of prediction of lots of other things that you might have been looking at or thinking about or whatever before you realized in a sense that 
you came to like, so if you sort of talked about other books from other authors or other sort of things like that, you've been looking up and then you come to that one specific thing that Google's sort of realized before you that that's like the last step of like, oh no, no, it's this that you were looking for or would be interested in. If that makes sense. No, I mean, I think it does. I, th- I just think that, it, I, I don't know, it's it's hard to say. I mean, like this is the, the problem when trying to like discuss these sort of sort of global uh, you know epoch changing events i mean i think like um what i find <coughs> what i found interesting um particularly studying modern history is that when you consider the the, the fall of the ussr uh sort of what 1991 and you have this sort of interregnum of like the end of history um until september 11th and you know you have this sort of very very brief period of where you know, this essentially, you know, sort of long, like, likes to, likes to be presented presented as this sort of brief period of peace. Although, I mean, people like to yeah, forget yeah. about the war in the Balkans <laughs> and, you know, um, and various civil wars in Africa and, and so on. And, I mean, and, you know. The, yeah, Rwanda. Asian, yeah. Rwa- yeah, Rwanda, East Point Timor. stand out, yeah. yeah. Well, I think as many yeah. people died as died in the Holocaust, I guess. No, I think. So, I mean, oh no, it's a million. It's a million in Rwanda. Yeah, I think. No, but I mean, like a lot, a lot of people were not going, not having a great time yeah, during yeah, that sure. time. But it is seen as this sort of, you know, peaceful, peaceful, you know, innocent ish, yeah. time. Yeah, um, yeah. No, no. For me, but, um, but, 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 in comparison, you know, but I mean, like, I, where I, am. I remember, like, I, I see. That's the thing, though. I, I, I don't remember it like that. I remember things like, uh, I remember. I mean, do you remember the Oklahoma City bombing? Yeah, uh, me, uh, yeah, sort of. I mean, I remember it being in the X Files and stuff, <laughs> sort of vaguely <laughs> played upon and things like that. I knew of it, but I don't remember it when it happened live. So I remember, I yeah, I remember that so vividly because I was living in Malaysia, and I was at a okay. friend of mine's house, and his parents had, and I'm, I guess, I must be eight, nine years old, um, and his parents had CNN on the TV. And it, it just, it, that was all that was on and just this entire day. And like, we were just sort of playing, but. It's quite know. a big, yeah. It's quite a big thing in terms of like, yeah, someone took down because it was a federal building. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, a big one. Yeah. And it was, it, it was very much a big one. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, I remember reading a book about, um, uh, it's like, you know, sort of um, similar to Anne Frank's diary, this girl wrote a book called a girl named Zlata. She wrote a book called Zlata's Diary. Well, I mean, she didn't write a book. It was her diary um, right. about like <laughs> growing up in uh, in Bosnia during uh, the Yugoslavian war and things like that. So I just have these really, really sort of very strong memories of things being quite shit during the 90s. Um, well, I think the same for like early 2000s, like my whole teenage year, like latter third of my teenage years. Late 20s, yeah, I just remember being constant, yeah, sort of horrible scenes from Iraq. And I remember, obviously, mm. we got, like, the cleaned-up version of that mm. that was on the new- for the news. Mm. You can only imagine, I mean, you know, like, things like Fallujah and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, th- September just- 11th was my first day of college. Oh, lovely. Lovely day to look back on. <laughs> what a memory. You know, Let's I mean, like... That, your college day turned up, <laughs> smell the roses... No, but I remember like, very, like my, my, my parents grass. were about to like so I got dropped off at school, so I went to boarding school. My parents dropped me off at school. Um 
and uh, went to go, you know, tell the secretary uh, that they were off. And uh, the secretary was on a phone and she was like, they've just bombed the World Trade Center. And we were like, what? And my brother was in New York at the time. Oh, okay. Um, and so, and then, but also because it was an international school, you had people flying in to start school on this day. Um, you know, people flying from the States and, and all sorts. So it was, it was okay. you know, and so that's really like, when I think of like going to college like that, that is my, obviously, I mean, it was my first day there. But it's also my first like sort of memory that also carried on throughout my entire time there. So there yeah. isn't, there is like, there's just no extended period, yeah, period of like, everything was fine. I think that's just in the minds of like guardian columnists. I don't think anyone else really sees it like that. And like propagandists sort of after the post, you know, like uh, cold war, just kind of patting themselves on the back. Mm. But um, I mean, I feel like now we're in the end of the USSR, but for the other side, no. In terms of total stagnation, economic decline, completely like starting to become unable to meet the the needs of the population. Although you read stuff, man, about like yeah, East Germany and stuff, and other parts of like the Soviet bloc, where it's like now yeah we can get better consumer goods but like can't get medicine or housing you know <laughs> it's very strange when you sort of read some of those things and it's like and and women's like uh, freedoms and sort of liberation being put back once in certain places so like you could see direct links between west germany and east germany um and like what the attitude towards women towards sex like women would report in research having more enjoyable sex lives, for example, getting what they want and having more financial freedom to ditch guys they don't want to be with and they'd have like more partners and that sort of thing, which is usually something that comes with like, you know, more financial freedom and security. And that was not the case in West Germany because it was like seen as like more traditional values, family values, the man went out to work and that kind of thing. And so when those two, yeah, became one, you know, country, like the federal country or whatever, it became, it, that really, was apparently an issue for lots of like women living in the East, the former East who had kind of got used to that men treating them more, probably not entirely that, but more equally um, or equal than what was happening in the West. Um, yeah. yeah. Just weird stuff like that. That was actually, you know, we've obviously even like those of us on the left and stuff, we've kind of bought into much of that. Yeah. You just think back of some of this USSR or something, you just sort of, Look back at you just immediately think of like drab, brutalist architecture and like shitty carpet in, <laughs> and apparatchiks and all this kind of thing. But you know, there was like first guy in space, extremely power, potent sort of like technological advances in like the fifth. There's that 50s period, the late 50s, where the USSR was like basically beating the USA on numerous like you know, metrics. But it's always fairly blunt in the sense of, but you weren't able to offer certain, like, wasn't the sort of wriggle room and the leeway for people to have some more personal freedom that if they'd have had, you know, and allowed, either, yeah, things would have crumbled like it did, or it may have been able to kind of strike a more of a balance. Um, But there there was a, there's there's apparently a joke in Romania or something. It's like, uh, you know, it's it's like you know, I, I can't remember at all, but it's sort of about you know, we got rid of communism, uh, and you know, uh, now we've we can have everything we want, but we yeah don't have 
but I've got no medicine, medicine cabinet, I don't have a house, all this kind of stuff. And yeah, and it is, it, that is, and I'm sure 25 year olds from, you know, the Czech Republic and stuff just think, look back on those times from their families, you know, lives and just think, God, that sounds awful. And now I can get proper clothes and I can live this consumerist lifestyle that, you know, we were sort of locked out from. Yeah. But then you've got millennial, millennials living in London who can't get a house for love nor money yeah. and are working yeah, the longest weeks in Europe <laughs> and over to unpaid overtime. And it's like to, to live in a cramped fucking, yeah. I, I, and I mean, I've, I have read like sort of, you know, memoir stuff of people who living in the Eastern Bloc who didn't really like it. And, but you read it now and you're like, fucking hell, they had a house and they're 22. <laughs> <laughs> and no, and they finished work at like, you know, two in the afternoon and went like, look after their kid and stuff. You're like, what the fuck? You imagine that now, you know, like here, it's unthinkable, like real basic stuff. Yeah. So again, you know, you've got your iPhone, you can fart about, you can, yeah, we're sort of developing the little matrix of the mind for everyone kind of thing. But you know, where from, you know, you can't get a house, love the money. And, uh, in America, you, you got cancer, you can't, get medical treatment i mean you know and that that was not really happening at any point in the ussr at its you know worst i guess well i think that i mean that like to bring us roundly back to the original question posed by story toilet um really is uh, a much more of a uh, huxleyan version of the future yeah um where we are very much uh living in a uh well, you know, quote unquote utopian totalitarian future where, you know, I mean, we aren't under the thumb in a brutal dictatorship, but, you know, the the idea of utilitarian, sorry, utopian totalitarianism is somewhat of a misnomer to begin with. Um well, I mean, I think that's probably the best place to end there since we've managed to vaguely come round in a, in a bit of a circle. Um, unbelievable. unbelievable. I was going to, I was going to say Google tap porn. I said, I mentioned tap porn earlier. I said porn Google tap, that. not tap porn. No, no, no. But you mentioned, cause you said about having porn on tap or something. And then I said tap porn and then I Googled it when we were <laughs> about half an hour ago and, uh, boy, what a faucet. Oh, I see what you did there. Um, right. Well, I don't want to end on porn again. Again. <laughs> so, so instead, we're going to let Cliff Richard see us out. <laughs> well, have a good evening and enjoy that. Bye. Right. See you. Bye. Bye. Good afternoon. <laughs>